Hey there, thanks for tuning in. My name's Kara, and you're listening to Demystifying Careers, a podcast where we talk to real people about who they are, what they do, and how they got to where they are today. For this week's episode, we have Rena Debray, a biology PhD student at the University of California, Berkeley. Rena is a 24-year-old second-year PhD student who sat down with me to chat all about PhD programs and her personal experience with her own program. We recorded multiple episodes, each one covering a different topic about PhDs, and this episode we get a big-picture look at what a PhD program is like. We discuss what Rena does in her day-to-day, how to survive a PhD program, and what has surprised her about the process. Once you've finished this episode, feel free to check out the others. Rena was a great guest, and I'm so excited for you all to hear her talk. All right, on to the podcast. Enjoy. So how are you today, Rena? I am doing pretty well. I decided to be a little adventurous this week and try baking something new. So I made donuts, and then I made a little chocolate glaze and vanilla glaze to put on top of them. That sounds so good. How was your week, Kara? It was good. I did not have any donuts, sadly. I did have a lot of chocolate, though, so that's been very good. And I'm going to try some new hiking trails this weekend because I've been trying to hike every weekend. So going to adventure out and do a little bit more. So I'm excited for that. I'm also excited today, Arena, to talk to you about some PhD business because you are a PhD student. And this episode's kind of the big, big tuna of it. It's just sort of di- diving into what exactly PhD program is, what it entails, what your experience has been like with it. So I'm excited to chat with you about it today. And I know we've talked a bit about your program before in other episodes, but in case this is the first episode someone's listening to, can you just walk me through who of your program, so where it's at, what it is, and then how many years do you anticipate your PhD is going to be? Do you have a set graduation date, or is it a moving target? So I'm a PhD student at UC Berkeley. Uh, My program is called Integrative Biology And that encompasses all kinds of things about ecology, evolution, plants, animals. I actually study bacteria. So kind of across the whole whole kingdom of life. And I'm a second year right now. I'm I'm finishing up my second year. And the amount of time that it'll take me in total depends on both on some like rigid requirements and on some requirements that are about how quickly you get things done. So let me talk about both those separately. Most or all programs have some required classes that you take. Uh, Most or all programs have some teaching that you have to do. So for, for my program, that's two semesters at minimum. And then there's programs usually have one or more exams that try to standardize across all these different labs and all these different students doing different research. Make sure that you really meet their expectations. In my program there's just one of these exams and it's called the qualifying exam. I just took it a couple weeks ago and passed and uh, that basically involves reading a ton of papers and a meeting with four different professors in the department to make sure that I understand the papers and then on the exam date it's a three-hour oral exam where they ask me questions. Some other programs have exams in your first year to make sure that you come in with the knowledge that you need and most programs probably have a, a final exam at the end where they Um, they grill you on what you've done and make sure that it holds up to their standards. Those are kind of the set requirements that each program has that you have to finish in order to graduate. And then beyond that, it really depends on how your research goes and how the professors on your committee feel about the progress you're making, how your advisor feels about the progress you're making. And it can also just be 
um, a, a personal decision, sometimes people do choose to take a little longer because that helps them kind of finish up things that they're doing before they move on to their next job. It's a bit different from other programs in that it's not necessarily everybody's end goal to get through it as quickly as possible. Sometimes people do choose to take a an extra year if they feel that it'll really help them in the long term. In theory, could you do an entire PhD program in one year? Um, I think it's happened. I, I, I don't think it has ever happened in like my program. I think where that where PhDs happen very quickly might be in something like math where you make a groundbreaking discovery very quickly and it's an a big enough discovery for a PhD. In biology, you usually have to wait for things to grow. So like bacteria. <laughs> Um, so things happen on kind of on their own timeline much more. And then, there, you know, those classes and, and research and exams all take some time as well. So even graduating within four years is rare, very rare. Really, people take five years. That's a pretty normal minimum. Six years is also typical or like common. And anything beyond that can happen, but it's it's usually not people's preference. It's usually if things aren't going as they'd like them to. It's really interesting because that's so different from undergrad where you know exactly when you're going to be graduating, even what month and what day you'll be graduating. Um, And there are people who end up graduating earlier, maybe a little bit late, but for the most part, it's a four-year experience. And you know, it's it's true for most post-grad programs like med school, dental school, law school. So it it does uh, surprise people a little when when they ask me about my graduation plans and I or like how long my program is and it's like well I I don't know it five or six or seven <laughs> could be anything it's not so much about the the set requirements you get those out of the way pretty early and then it's about these requirements that's like how much have you done which just doesn't necessarily happen on a certain time scale it happens when it happens so jumping to another topic, I know you've mentioned this before, that you have a lab that you work with and an advisor that you work with. And I know that an advisor is a really big part of that PhD experience. What did that process look like, like getting connected with the advisor and then getting connected with that lab? So there's a few different ways that that can look depending on your program. For whatever reason, in ecology and evolution, uh, we're, we're normally expected to come into a PhD program with an advisor already picked out. And that can be a little challenging. It means that you have to do a lot of uh, pre-reading before you apply. You you kind of write your essay with a lab in mind. I made sure to do a lot of research on the lab and talk to the current graduate students and hear whether they were happy. Everything that I could to decide whether this would be a good place for me to spend a long time in. Um, so it's a, a, a little, you know, a little um, stressful of a decision to sign up for five or six years with someone that you don't know well. And it's stressful on the advisor's part to just, you know, take on a student that they don't know well for five or six years. On the, I guess on the flip side, it was nice for me to have that picked out before I came to grad school, have all the uncertainty over with and just hit the ground running right away. Yeah, that is nice to have someone going into it that you know already and you have that relationship established. And I know that everyone's going to have a slightly different criteria for what they're looking for in their advisor. But for you, how much did you factor in your advisor's personality versus their reputation in the field and what their specialty is? Is there a certain value? balance or a formula that you took into account when making that decision? I think all of those things are important. For me, something that I I felt was a a little like extra important was that I didn't want to be with someone who's too busy. Came to grad school right from undergrad. I haven't spent as much time in the field as, as some other people who get a master's first. So I didn't, I didn't feel ready to be completely independent 
right away. So there were some advisors that I was looking at who um, whose students told me that they were away a lot and had a lot of other responsibilities or and, and that just didn't sound like the right place for me. What something that pulled me in the direction of Berkeley was how happy the current grad students in my lab were and that they not only liked my advisor's you know scientific interests but liked her as a person. If you're spending five or six years with someone, you'll be a lot happier if you get along as people, not just as co-workers. I don't think you have to like someone as a person to work with them well, but it definitely helps. And what happens if you enter the program having picked an advisor, but it turns out you guys don't work out very well for whatever reason? People do change advisors. It's not common and it's not usually anybody's preference. It's not easy to do. But if people are really unhappy in the labs they're in, often they find that the difficult act of switching is still better than the more difficult act of sticking it out and being miserable for a long time. So now that you're in the PhD program, what has surprised you about it? What are some things that are different than what you expected before you'd entered the program? I would say that it it feels less like school than I expected and more like work. So I keep a nine to five or maybe a little longer if I have to schedule, as opposed to in undergrad when I would kind of sleep in and work and for a little bit and then take a Netflix break and talk to my friends and then work and then eat dinner and then work, study some more. And so my schedule is much more regular and I really like having my evenings and weekends free. I feel more like an adult. I was surprised by how little structure there was suddenly. Maybe that is true no matter what you do after you graduate. That scares me a little sometimes because it does feel like I'm still learning how to do this whole grad school thing and make decisions about what to work on and how to work on it. And the feedback comes eventually, but over much longer time scales. So I I do worry sometimes that I could put a lot of time into something and, and not realize that I'm going down the wrong path until I've already, you know, wasted some time. But I'm really working on getting more comfortable with the lack of structure and getting more comfortable on trusting myself. And I think like you hinted at, it that parallels adulthood in general, just growing up, having to trust yourself a little bit more and make structure out of very gray, ambiguous situations. But I also think you're doing, it seems like a very good job of that, your first point of having that very regular schedule of a nine to five and how much more similar to work it is than school. I think is a testament to how you are creating that structure out of a very ambiguous space. So the last question is just what you think the most important skills are for surviving a PhD program? Because like you've mentioned, it's a long program. I think it's very much a marathon, not a sprint. So what, from your experience, would you say are some of those important skills to have? I'm going to start by saying that I'm not sure that I think that PhD programs have everything right in what they look for in that... um, they usually look for students who are really outstanding at, at undergrad. And the skills that you need to do well at undergrad can be different from the ones you, you need in a PhD. So to, to expand on that a little more, I consider myself a very good student in undergrad. I went to all my classes. I got good grades. I studied hard. I really thrived on that structure of getting, you know, A's, getting that gold star when I did my assignments. So when I got to grad school and I had to kind of make more of my own calls and not get feedback, I kind of panicked. It can be a little jarring to be someone who was very comfortable in the environment of undergrad to go to a different environment and feel like maybe these are some skills that I'm not as good at and I need to catch up on. So I guess maybe the skill I would say is things like being 
comfortable with a lack of structure, being independent and creative. I also think that skills that, that aren't really technical and people might consider them soft skills end up being really important in the sciences, more so than, than a lot of people expect. You do a lot of reading and a lot of writing. You, you do a lot of working with people and managing people. If you get to be a professor, then you're managing your lab and deciding who to hire and uh, who to put on teams together and how, how hands-on and how hands-off to be. You have to have all the same skills as a manager. You just don't quite get trained formally in it. Uh, so yeah, those, those are all things I would say. And, and a lot of them are, are kind of soft skills that might not be reflected in your science transcript or even in your your undergraduate research. That's really interesting to hear. And I, I feel like it sort of solidifies this reoccurring theme we have in this episode that PhD programs kind of parallel adulthood and the growth that you have as you're growing up in your you know, 20s, 30s, whatever years you're doing your PhD program. Yeah. And just to add to that a little bit, if I think about what I, what I did today as an example of um, things that are important in grad school, today I watched a couple of talks online so that's, um, that's something that's important is engaging with the scientific community. It doesn't, you know, it's, it's not enough to just be brilliant in your own little bubble. You have to keep yourself up to date with what other people are doing and relate it to what you do. Uh, then I spent a couple hours writing. Like I mentioned, that's a big part of being a scientist is communicating about the work you've done. And then I spent a couple hours uh, working on designing a, a, a figure, a graph that would communicate my data. So Again, it's, it's not exactly a skill that I thought I would need in the, in the sciences. I don't think of graphic design as a, a technical skill, but it turns out to take up plenty of your time because communicating your results is just as important as getting good results. I think that your results are only as good as, as how well you can show people um, what they mean. Yeah, I think communication is something that needs to be taught a little bit more in schools, not even just college, but in high school as well, because that is such a huge part of anything you're going to do in life. And being able to be really smart is great and have great information and, and work that you're working on is wonderful. But if you can't share that with the world in an easily understood way, it kind of lives in a vacuum. I absolutely agree with your take on that. I have read some scientific papers that did impressive work, but didn't write about it well. So they were a pain in the neck to read. And I've seen some talks by brilliant people who just weren't very good at communicating about it and the audience got lost. Well, this is a really great conversation, Rena. Thank you so much for talking about your experience and your program and just filling us in on details of what the program looks like from big picture. It's really great to hear. Thank you, Kara. And that's a wrap. Thanks so much for listening, and I hope you enjoyed this episode. For more information on the guest and what was discussed, check out the information in the podcast description box. And to hear more, feel free to subscribe to this podcast and leave a rating so others can find demystifying careers too. Thanks again, and see you next time.